Yeah, yeah, the first event that I remember going to was actually a Mike Phil Same event uh-huh. in Las Vegas. I was still working. You were not. I think this was really yeah. soon after I had quit my job, but yeah. we went to an event in Vegas and I just remember walking into this hotel and as we were walking around, like we were like, oh my God, that's Frank Gurnham. Oh, did you see John Reese? And like, we were whispering to each other, like pointing yeah. out names really? like, Jason Moffat, wow. Like Taylor <laughs> Swift was standing over there or something, you know, but it was like other marketer dudes just like us. Well, and it was a VIP, it was like an affiliate appreciation party. So it wasn't like it was this mass art, you know, this thing with, we were just one of them, but we felt like we we're the outsiders. Like, I don't know how we snuck into this party, yeah. but cool. <laughs> and then now, you know, those guys are buddies. Those are friends of ours. And we share masterminds. We text each other, call it whatever it is. I and mean, it's like us here and it's fascinating. This is Super Fast Business with James Schramko. James Helping you build your business super fast. James Franco here. Welcome back to superfastbusiness.com. This is episode 796. Today I'm joined by special guests Matt and Joe from Hustle and Flowchart. Welcome. Hey James, great to have our Great to be here. We're doing an interesting episode again. I guess tell the folks what's going on here, and this will actually tell our folks too. Right. So what we do is uh, from time to time we collaborate and we decide to get together. We often have really good conversations. So I think in a past choice was to actually record it because it's kind of like eavesdropping on a conversation that was going to happen anyway. <laughs> uh, so we do a simulcast. We record this episode. We publish it on both superfastbusiness.com and on Hustle and Flowchart. And I think we've been together many, many times now, probably four or five times mm. where we've come together. And every time, I certainly get great feedback from super fast business listeners. We have had you in the top 10, Mm. which is good considering we publish about two episodes a week. So we're very close to 100 per year episodes. And to get in the top 10, I think is a significant achievement. And I think we have a wonderful audience overlap. We have a lot of friends in common. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've surfed with some of your friends. Name some of them. Yeah. Uh, well, there's Paul Clifford. Oh, yeah. There's uh, Aaron Fletcher. Yep. There's the Candy Man. He used to have a van that was like a candy, an ice cream truck. Or a... <laughs> Wait, hold on. Who's the Candy Man? Am I, <laughs> I got to remember. He's one of our friends who lives next door, I think, to Aaron. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Aaron's been moving. Yeah, so got to give a shout out to Aaron too, because he's the one that originally connected all of us, to, well, right. us to you. <laughs> and vice versa. Uh, yeah. He's a great guy. I think I just bought one of his Black Friday specials because he was <laughs> haunting my inbox and my remarketing. I thought it might get rid of him, but I don't think the segmentation's there. (laughs) But evidently, he did really well. And uh, I remember many years ago, he did something tremendous for me. He was able to pass on a whole hard drive full of Jay Abraham things uh, with permission from Jay Abraham, of course. Mm -hmm. So he's been a great connector and I've had lunch with him when I went over to TNC in San Diego many, many years ago. And he was actually... Uh, a bit of history. He was an early member of the Superfast Business Forum back when it was actually Superfast Results. Yeah. Like his very early days online. So we have a long history. I love his stuff. He does good work. Uh, I know you're very close friends. Mm-hmm. And of course, you're close friends with even people in my country like Stephen S. Getzis and uh, uh-huh. yep. Charlie Valor. Yeah. 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 Charlie's, you know, he's very close to my inner circle. Uh, he's a partner of mine. And right. I love what he's doing over there at valamedia.com. Mm-hmm. We actually hired Charlie to help grow this podcast now. And then we're partners with a guy, Chris Bonetti, who's also in Australia and inside your membership. Yep. And yep. we just had Gert Malik on the show recently. And 
we've been talking to him about maybe doing some SEO help with us in our business. So cool crossover. Lots of interesting crossovers there. Yeah. Well, it's such a good community. And like Gert's my SEO man. He's the real deal. And uh, no kidding. The backstory on him was fascinating because he was a member of Superfast Business and I was coaching him with his thing. And he had he had a few things that he was doing, but I found out he'd been in SEO for a long time. Mm. And one of my other clients was asking for help with SEO. And I said, why don't you have a chat to Gert? And then Gert just transformed this guy's site almost <laughs> instantly. And I got to see that because I'm coaching, you know, and I got to see this site that was tanked mm. revive, you know, rise from the ashes and start outperforming the competitors. Mm. And I'm like, okay, I've got to get to know Gert a little more and find out what's happening. And I recommended him to another client, same thing. It's basically everywhere I sent him, they're getting a result. And so I eventually asked him to help me with my stuff. And we ended up becoming partners. I think that's what we're going to talk about today is Mm. I want to talk about the affiliate marketing side of things. And I want to talk about uh, perhaps the partnership side of things because they are somewhat interrelated. Mm. And it sort of describes my journey of starting out online where I was in the beginning an affiliate and that was all my income. And then I added in services and then I built on the coaching side of things. And then eventually I've found some really fantastic people to partner with and to strengthen their brand at the same time as becoming my business model. So we could talk about the various stages of that. And I was also really interested in the affiliate marketing stuff because I know you've been on some kind of a mission (laughs) to go deeper into affiliate marketing. You interviewed me, you interviewed Stephen, but you've also spoken to lots of other people, really successful internet marketers who have cracked the formula with affiliate marketing. So I would love to extract from you a summary of sorts of everything you've learned from these experts about affiliate marketing strained down into the 80-20 of the 80-20, what I'd call the 64-4. Yep. You know, if we could pull it into, you know, the top few bullet points that you must know if you're going to do affiliate marketing. And then let's see if we can bridge that across to what would happen if you became an affiliate of someone's entire business or a whole product line, which is essentially the kind of deals that I structure for myself these days. Mm. So with that being said, why don't you weigh in in there with uh, some good stuff. Yeah, that was a amazing intro. And I feel like that we've learned so much from you. So we have to take our collective hats off because mm-hmm. we're wearing hats. To you. <laughs> literally, and it, literally are wearing hats. <laughs> <laughs> to, no, I mean, but it's in full total truth and truthfulness to everyone listening is that you have been such a good, amazing guide and mentor to us even before we were, you know, a paying customer of yours and member of, of everything there. Because we have a similar business model, definitely different, Mm -hmm. but there's so much influence the way that you communicate with your community. You know, you have these deep relationships and just to kind of kind of answer some of your first question that you posed there is relationships is really the key to everything we've done. And from the people who are really good affiliates, it's relationships is really where it starts, Uh, at least the long term affiliate promotions, which is what we prefer. We don't Mm -hmm. really like the, you know, let's get on the leaderboard launch day and then off to the next thing. it's just too much work for us, you know, and I'm pretty sure you'd agree with that too, you know. Yeah, you know, like um, when I started online, there were those leaderboards and the contests, and I used to actually do one sort of promotion a month, one big launch. Mm-hmm. Back then, there were sort of $1,000 products that then became $2,000 products, <laughs> and I would often go really well on the leaderboard, and there was a few peers back then who are still going well now. 
But I quickly realized this launch model is exhausting yeah. and I don't like those one-time shots. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I'd make 5,000 or 10,000 and the most I made was about $78,000. Nice. I think I sold yeah. 78 of a $2,000 product. Mm -hmm. And that was actually the birth of super fast results, my original community, ah. because my bonus was I'm going to help you go through this training because you're going to struggle unless you have my help. Mm. I know this material. I know the person selling the course and I can go deep with you on all the, the things. And I gave everyone who purchased a 60 day access to my brand new community, super fast results in the beginning of 2009. This is before Facebook groups. Wow. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I had the foresight to set up a 60-day trial that then starts billing at what was then, I think, $67 per month. Mm. And that was a 50-50 partnership, that venture. And that's how I started my first community of recurring subscription income. And to my surprise, I got no complaints and almost everybody renewed. I think somewhere around 65 people wow. stayed in after 60 days. And then that was it. I've never, ever looked back when it comes to recurring subscription, but it came off the back of an affiliate promotion. And to speak to your point about connections, I think that's one of the things I brought from my old job as a general manager with a big team, having dealt with strangers every single day for many, many years in a showroom environment, in a retail environment, but also building very strong connections inside the manufacturer. I was working, of course, for Mercedes-Benz, mm -hmm. having to establish very strong key partnership relationships with our competing dealers. I mean, the, the crazy thing is, we could sell something to a customer that they could also buy from any one of 10 competitors who were within a one-hour drive of our right. showroom, the exact same product. <laughs> but if they purchase from us, then sometimes I would have to go and get that car from one of our competitors who, who had it in stock. So it was such a, a knife's edge having to balance the relationship of being peers slash friends slash mm -hmm. enemies, you know, competitors. But then it was us, us versus other brands as well. So it was crazy. And then the next minute I'd find myself in Tahiti or Fiji or you know, Northern Queensland or New Zealand on a Mercedes-Benz Achievers trip, spending a week <laughs> with my competitor and their wife, you know, with drinks and food and bus tours and, and all sorts of amazing, dazzling benefits and entertainment. So you build these strong relationships. And I think what you did that's very clever is host that drinking get together, at, <laughs> you know, around the, the traffic and conversion event. That is a absolute master move in mm. bringing people together, but also being the person responsible for that event. It's a, probably a little bit of a pain in the ass to organize, but it's also, I imagine- Not really, actually. <laughs> tremendously rewarding in terms of the outcome you get from that. Yeah. Yeah. Now we got to give a shout out to Dan Ryan, actually. He's listening and I know he's a, I, I think you know Dan. But he's he kind of helps a lot of with the, in the background of organizing, and so it's actually fairly simple. Well, he's the us. one with all the connections to the breweries and those kinds of things, yeah. and we're the ones who sort of spread the word about it. <laughs> we're more the marketers, promoters, and we just show up and put the face on because no one else in the group wants to do it. So we're like, okay. 
and you came out to one of them, I think, uh, two or three years ago. Yeah, uh, when that was allowed. Definitely, I had uh, <laughs> someone spilt their drink on me, uh, and it was uh, it was great. I think they were actually a bit intimidated by me, which <laughs> I always find like fascinating. I'm sitting here in my board shorts and bare feet, you know, in my own little micro environment. I'm an absolute nobody, right? I'm just a, a dude who goes for a surf enjoys a coffee at the local cafe shop, spends a lot of time pushing a kid on a swing at the park and <laughs> watching Netflix. So when I go to those events and then people actually recognize me or know my name, I find that, that it always is intriguing because you just, you get insulated from that to some extent when you work from home mm. for 11 years. True. And yeah, someone spilled a drink and they were like shocked because they recognized me and they, they thought I might get upset about it, but I also <laughs> just laughed about it. He's like, going to ruin my <laughs> reputation on his podcast. <laughs> like if you go to a pub and there's beers in hands and it's crowded, I think you could expect that is a um, collateral damage possibility. Splash zone. Yeah. yeah it, was, it was great. I was connecting with people from uh, the East Coast, like Matt Coffey and yeah. of course, you know, Dan Wartrope, guys I'm really close to and do a lot of work work with and for me going to that event is an opportunity to reconnect and strengthen the network the very very strong network that I've built in the United States and mm. it all started really for me in 2008 when I went to underground in Los Angeles it was mm. the first time I hopped on an airplane since I was about 12 <laughs> to go to America uh -huh. and I didn't know a single person at that event and there was I think five or six hundred people at the event wow. and I took furious notes I became very good friends with some of the people there. I actually won a contest. And I think I've mentioned this a few times before, but that was the big breakthrough. I won a contest that put me in front of the entire crowd. I got up on stage to explain how I won the contest and I won access to the Maverick Club, which was a club for millionaire marketers. Mm -hmm. And to put this in perspective, at this time, I still had a job. Mm. I mean, I flew back home from that event straight from the airport, had a shower, got in my car and went into work. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Committed. I was still employed. Yeah. You know, I saw Mike Phil Same and Brad Fallon in another part of the bar mm -hmm. there. It's like just there. Like they were right just there. <laughs> and uh, I was so close to celebrity and all the famous people I'd been looking at online. Yeah. And now I'm right there. <laughs> we have, uh, we have stories. We should I tell remember, our, yeah, our <laughs> versions of like some very similar. Go for I it. Think, yeah. yeah. The first event that I remember going to was actually a Mike Phil Same event uh -huh. in Las Vegas. I was still working. You were not. I think this was really yeah. soon after I'd quit my job. But yeah. uh, we went to an event. In Vegas and I just remember walking into this hotel and as we were walking around like we were like oh my god that's that's Frank Gurner. oh did, did you see John Reese and like we were whispering to each other like pointing yeah. out names yeah. like like Jason Moffat wow like Taylor <laughs> Swift was standing over there or something you know but it was like other marketer dudes just like us well and it was a VIP it was like an affiliate appreciation party so it wasn't like it was this mass or you know this thing with we were just one of them but like we were yeah we felt like we we're the outsiders like I don't know how we snuck into this party yeah. but cool <laughs> and then now those buddies you know those guys are buddies those are friends of ours and we share masterminds we text each other call it whatever it is I and mean, it's like us here and it's fascinating yeah and it's fun to look back on those days it wasn't that long ago you know, yeah. like you said, about 10, 11 years ago for us as well. Well, I think when I started online, John Reese was a huge influence because mm. he had his million dollar day. Mm -hmm. And that really struck a chord with me. I'm thinking, hang on a minute, this guy just made a million dollars in a day. Like I didn't fully understand that most of that goes back to affiliates or to mm -hmm. traffic or whatever, but it was such a breakthrough at that time. And it really inspired me. And I went deeper into his stuff. And then was that just... 
well, a couple of years ago, him and I are out there fishing in a boat on Sydney Harbour, you know, catching fish. I'm just there <laughs> catching fish with John Reese. you know, like it's almost unbelievable, you know, and then we go and watch a movie or, <laughs> or we just chat. Same as, as I hang out with, well, I literally stayed in Dean Jackson's house last November nice. when I went over to Kevin Rogers' event and our other housemate was John Carlton, <laughs> so, like, you know, you know, come out in the morning and you're having breakfast with John Carlton and Dean Jackson and you just think this is just unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. That, uh, you know, over the long haul, and, and I want to stress this, if you're listening to this and you still think that most of these people you see are like a huge celebrity and untouchable, you'll find they're actually just normal people. And if you uh, actually have a long-term outlook, you could actually befriend and become mm. very close to these people in time. If that was your goal, and if it was a part of your plan, then it is achievable, but you just have to take a long-term approach to it. Don't do the things that annoy people, yeah. like being overly eager or too in your face. I've always been reserved. I've got people's phone numbers and emails address. I very rarely would use them. Right. Uh, I think that's one of the secrets is the longer you can wait to monetize something, the more powerful it can be when you do. And this is sort of a classic startup philosophy. Yep. It's why I don't have huge expectations on new projects in the beginning, especially revenue share deals. I want to keep it on topic here. Mm-hmm. Revenue share deals are like acorns and they might not always be an oak tree in the first month. They might, however, in a year or two from now, have a dramatic difference. So I'll tell you what that meant for me and then I'll step aside for a sec. For me, that meant that as recently as a few months ago, I was able to switch off Silver Circle for new customers, as in I'm not taking new customers, I'm straight up coaching at high prices Hmm. because my revenue shares have replaced that income. What that translates to is I found another six or seven hours a week Hmm. of calls I'm not doing to focus on the relationships I've already got. So to put a bullet point on this, If you go in there for the long haul and you want to build relationships that survive the test of time, they can snowball and compound and you don't need many relationships to have an amazing business and you really can work less and make more (laughs) if you build those kind of relationships because they compound. And the average revenue share deal for me now pays more than three or four Silver Circle clients. And when you have a portfolio of them, you can see that this actually could be a really serious business model. And it's a fairly fuss-free, sustainable model. I love the relationships I have with my partners. I actually still have all of my partners. That's the other thing because I chose well. Yeah, that's a huge piece. This time, when I first tried this in the beginning, like 10 years ago, I made a lot of mistakes and pretty much none of them survived. So there is a learning curve and it would be advisable to get help from someone like me or someone else. I know you've got friends like Roland who Mm -hmm. teach putting together deals. There are people out there who do this. It would be wise to learn from them, pay them the money to shortcut the mistakes because you know I made some expensive ones. Mm-hmm. The, the most expensive one I made cost me about half a million dollars over four years in partnership fees that I really didn't need to pay mm. if I were to look back in hindsight. So, so what's the big mistake in that in that uh, that venture there? In that venture, I just went for a, you know your typical 50-50 deal, which almost every new marketer makes. They're like, hey. Mm. You know, and it's funny, I'm looking at you two on the screen thinking, oh, crap, (laughs) maybe you guys have got a 50-50 deal. And they can work. And I think you guys are a good example of a tremendous partnership. Mm. But in this case, there was a lopsided input. 
I got really heavy help in the absolute beginning. My challenge or my struggle was putting together the tech, choosing a platform, putting together the tech and building the first funnel. Mm. My strength was acquiring every single customer and coaching them and servicing them pretty much 100%. So what I should have done is paid someone a few thousand dollars to set me up and then own the rest of it. I had the wrong deal structure for what I was trying to do. And it became obvious after a while that I was doing all the heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. I introduced 99.99% of customers and I was servicing probably somewhere around 80% of the fulfillment. And I'm like, hang on, why am I sending off 50% of our profit every month when it's really not an even split? And in the end, it was hard to exit that. I offered a buyout, I offered to be bought out. I offered to restructure the deal to take into account what it looks like in reality. In the end, we couldn't really find an agreement. So I just started something new. Mm. And within a few months, everyone went to the new thing and the old thing stopped, Mm. which actually validated my very reason-based hypothesis that I was actually (laughs) doing everything. (laughs) The mere fact that everyone came across and the other one pretty much just fell to the ground was proof of that. Mm. So that was that one. So we all have these sort of little hiccups along the way, but I also went into a few other 50-50 deals. So my common strategy was to do a 50-50, but now I've realized that the marketer, the person doing the marketing really should get a much bigger share than the expert or the person with the intel. And that's one of the big key lessons because the marketing is where all the skill and the knowledge and the leverage comes from. Basically, experts are a dime a dozen. Mm -hmm. You've often seen good, reasonable products that are marketed very well will outsell an amazing product that's an obscure secret. That's right. Yeah. It's very interesting. So going back to the relationships on our end, they are very long-term, at Mm -hmm. least not the newest ones, but our intention is always to stay in front of those folks in help and give value in some way. And usually for us, it starts with this podcast for any new connections we have, which are typically, you know, introductions from our mutual friends, yourself included. So I thank you for that as well. And that's kind of, I think, been a big piece of our secret sauce is that it's a warm connection. There is some rapport built in from day one. But we don't ever drop the ball when it comes to prior to the podcast, during the podcast, and after the podcast. There's follow-up along the whole way. And uh, now our newest thing, and actually I got to shout out Derek Sivers' new book. Mm -hmm. uh, What is it called? Your Music and People? Something like that. Your Music, Your People, something like that. Yep, that's it. I just saw it. Uh, (laughs) New book. I don't think it's even out yet, but we bought a bunch. It's made for musicians. So it's teaching musicians how to market. But it's everything we're talking about here. And it's written in such a simplistic form. So someone who's not a marketer actually understands marketing's probably most strongest principles. Mm-hmm. And it's said in a way where if you just replace musicians and flop it out with like podcast or affiliate marketer, whatever it might be, it, it still applies. Yeah, it's even, yeah. And I feel like that's, it's just wise words. And um, there's some really interesting ways that he tracks people, you know, and follow-ups and there's systems. And so that's really our new thing is now yeah. getting very systematic and let the systems work for us and not us have to think about, oh, we should probably reach out to whoever. Well, while, while we're on the, the topic of connections and, you know, really building these relationships, I think one of the sort of things that we've struggled with in the past, we're getting better at it, but we struggled with in the past. And I want to kind of get your take on it is we have a lot of great relationships in our network of people who have products that are similar to other products we promote. So for example, we've probably got four or five really close friends who all sell some sort of like page builder type software. And so we run into some issues where we've got this 
this little tug of war going before between some of our people that we're connected with for, you know, they want us to promote their thing and we should be pushing this, but we're pushing this instead. And that's something that we kind of get in our own heads about a little bit. So I'm kind of curious when it comes to the relationships, how do you handle that sort of thing? It's a tough one. And that's exactly my scenario too. I mean, my affiliate story was promoting uh, web building software. Mm-hmm. So that is, that's an absolute core strength of mine. I was one of the top affiliates for that software. I was making all my income from it in the beginning. I know uh, Stephen Esketsis was also similar, I think, when he was promoting software. Mm-hmm. And then I went on to basically co-invent and encourage Optimize Press. Mm-hmm. And then I was an early sort of, I think I was probably second after Pat Flynn promoting lead pages, wow. but I was promoting lead player, actually, the first tool that Clay Collins had. Mm-hmm. And then... I do get approached all the time with uh, page builder things. This guy, you know, John Lint, he Uh showed up to the Maldives. He built a strong connection with me surfing in a sort of enclosed environment on a boat for weeks at a time, many years in a row. And eventually I got to understand his tool. But what he did that was very clever is he sat down side by side with me, laptop to laptop and said, show me how you use your forum. Show me what tools you use to run the business. Show me your procedure. And he replicated my perfect workflow and tool set into his tool. So Hmm. I think what he did that others haven't done is he just went deep into R&D. And I just want to lightly touch on this because it just reminded me of something. When I was the top promoter of this software in the beginning, my strategy for getting the most sales was to produce a cheat sheet. So I would actually really understand the tool and see how you could get the best results from the tool. And back then it was actually getting better SEO Mm -hmm. and being able to write better copy and to hack the tool, to make it do things it wasn't supposed to be able to do out of the box. And the cheat sheet was highly valuable. But what I noticed was, you know, the relationship with the manufacturer was very strong and it had to be because often their affiliate links, they wouldn't track properly or the cookies wouldn't push or I didn't get credit when I know someone bought from me because they would claim my bonus Mm. and they'd want my coaching. (laughs) And they would actually sometimes adjust the affiliate sales on the back end to reflect what should have happened. They were using one shopping cart back then. It, mm-hmm. it wasn't highly reliable. And so there was that relationship, but they also doubled my commission. Wow. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of like, that was good. The bad thing though, was they would pretty much use my cheat sheet as a feature roadmap for what they <laughs> needed to build into the tool and how to improve their marketing. I'm sure they literally gave this to their dev team and to their marketing team and said, this guy's showing us how to market our product and what it should be able to do. I want you to make this standard, build this in. Yeah. So I would have to constantly update it. So there was this, <laughs> it was so similar to my relationship with Mercedes-Benz and with BMW in the early days. Hmm. I've got a story around that too, that it shows you the difficulty of having a very close relationship and how you can get stung with it. It does answer your question, Mm. but in a slightly roundabout way. But when I joined BMW, that was my first car dealership job after being rejected by Toyota. Mm. Uh, for, to sell Toyotas, I got, got a job in BMW. That's an upgrade, I would say. Yeah. I think I landed okay. <laughs> Within a few months, I was selling really well, and there was this new model out. There was this 316i compact. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a bit ugly, and it wasn't that popular, and so people struggled to sell. It was nowhere near as sexy as the 318i, which everyone bought. And I got this phone call from a guy, and he said, oh, hello, my name's Martin. I'm from 
head office. I'm in charge of marketing for Australia. And I just want to know, what are you doing to sell so many 316Is? And I said, oh, uh, like, what do you mean? He said, well, you've sold more 316Is than all the other dealerships put together. (laughs) What's the secret? He said, could you write some stuff down for me? So, you know, I was pretty excited by the prospect that this guy in head office is paying attention to me. I was 23 years old. It was sort of blew me away a bit. I went home and I created this 13-page handwritten manifesto, which I faxed to him. That's this machine. You put the thing on it. <laughs> yeah, what's that? Make some sounds, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. I won't do the sounds. But lo and behold, like a month later, pretty much everything I suggested got rolled out to all the whole country. Like I suggested they put extra points on this particular model. I explained that I had a different test drive route for this car because it's so gutless. You shouldn't have any hills on the test drive route. And they actually told all the dealers to do that. Wow. And I went into a lot of depth, obviously. But basically, he took my thing, no credit, and just published it in in his own name for the rest of the people. Hmm. And I'm like, oh, wow, I kind of just got screwed over. My whole magic formula just got destroyed. And it reminded me of that lesson that Brian Tracy teaches in The Psychology of Selling, which I listened to about a million times. Mm. Like I literally wore the tape out. Talks about a glass salesman Mm. who sold shatterproof glass and he sold the most glass. And they said, how did you do it? And he said, oh, well, I just basically grabbed this mallet and just smashed the glass in front of the customer. And it was about the power (laughs) of demonstration. And then, of course, everyone copied this person. Everyone copied him. And and then the next year, he still sold the most. Mm. And they said, how did you do it? He goes, well, now I gave the customer the hammer. Uh So it's about experience, getting the customer involved in the experience. But there's a lot of lessons in this. This is basically when you're a top performer or you're a top affiliate or you are selling a lot of something, other people are going to come knocking. They're going to want the recipe and then they're going to publish the recipe or use it against you Mm. straight away. That is a market leveler. So you must commit to innovation. If you're going to be an affiliate, whatever the current standard is will not be the current standard next year. If you're going to go into rev share deals, you're going to have to back a horse that's a long-term performer. I'm pretty comfortable with 10X Pro that I've backed Mm -hmm. because it solves the problem of almost all of my customers based on the problems I was having that I solved for myself and then built into the tool. The other thing that was good about the arrangement is that we came up with a deal that makes it work for me financially. So I'm very motivated by it. Mm. Now, when you do get other tools come along and there will be other solutions, I've actually got a couple of RevShare partners that do kind of overlap a little bit. So you do have to be careful. So when you get one in, it's absolutely critical that if you're going to take on another one, you need a whitelist or an approval from the one that's already in. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had a credit card or a phone or purchase a product and then you see an ad for a better deal than what you got from the company, but they never offered it to you? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think I'll probably just describe Black Friday and Cyber Monday. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Way. We just passed that. <laughs> you got to be so careful. Oh, man. So yeah. careful. Like, there's a lot of people I wouldn't ever consider buying from unless it's Black Friday, Cyber Monday, because mm-hmm. basically you're getting screwed over unless you do. Yeah. So, got to be careful with that. But yeah, credit card companies, banks, telcos, they do this. They offer better deals to strangers. So, what I always want to do is basically the group that I have is more important than my personal needs of bringing an extra person in for a little bit of extra commission. Mm -hmm. I have to preserve the group at all costs, which means I have to say no to a deal if it's going to be a conflict of interest to my current partner. And some of my current partners have vetoed potential deals on the basis that they feel that it's a little bit too close or a bit icky. Mm -hmm. So my first line of defense is I'll automatically filter out anyone who I know is a conflict. Secondly, 
if I'm not quite sure, then I'll run it past my current member and let them know how they want to be. So I do have two agencies who sell similar things, but to slightly different audiences, but they started out quite apart and they've ended up quite together. Mm. But it gives me basically beta and VHS to go off to the entertainment market. I've got two choices. One guy in, in my partnership does membership platform and course platform that has the facility to have an app. And then I've got another partner who focuses solely on apps and everything to do with apps. And there's a little bit of a stickiness in the middle there. Mm-hmm. But the app guy was first and the membership one came second. So the membership guy has to accommodate and be aware that my first true love for apps was with this first partner. So you've basically got to draw a line in the sand and you have to let everyone know where their position is. Mm. Now, if you're an affiliate and not a RevShare partner, I think you have a lot more flexibility. There's no reason you can't have a products page, which is, of course, my affiliate marketing 101 thing. If you're listening to this podcast and you don't have a products page with recommended resources, you're missing out on affiliate income. I was delighted when I heard Bob Serling talk about the exact same strategy years later. I mean, I've had a product page for a decade, but have that recommended products. You can carry multiple competitors on that page and let the customer decide. You can highlight your pros and cons Mm -hmm. of what you think is good for, you know, who is this for? Who is it not for? What type of user wants this? I'm thinking, for example, I promote uh, different levels of autoresponder. And I think there's marketplace space to have active campaign and Entreport or Infusionsoft or MailChimp because I think a lot of it's going to come down to who's using it, mm-hmm. what they're using it for, what level they're at. It's good to have a sweetheart. Mm-hmm. You can almost use a technique that my used car sales manager taught me back in 1995. What was that? He used to say, because often when you have a lot of cars, there's so much choice. You, can, mm. you could walk into a dealership and there might be 86 different models you could choose from. Yeah. Or even one model has three variants or within the variants, there's like 50 different ways to configure it. And often that comes down to whether the thing's in stock or not. Mm. And if it's in stock, that's very convenient. If it's not, that's very inconvenient quite often. Sure. So to say, look, just go and tell them the story of the three bears What he meant was I'd have to share a Goldilocks story. (laughs) And, you know, the big buzz in 2020 in marketing is use stories. Yep. You know, stories have been around forever (laughs) since prehistoric age, right? Since the campfire, I was using stories to sell way back in the early days. Mm -hmm. But he would teach me, I would have to basically give them three options, but make one the option that was best. He'd be like, there's this option here. And that's good if you want this or that, but it's not so good if you after this. And the one over here, this is what some people will have if their highest need is such and such. But based on what you've told me, that's not exactly what you're looking for. So therefore, I would recommend this. Mm. This one's got a nice balance of this. It's got a good balance of that. It will do exactly what you want it to do based on what you've told me. And it's going to fit perfectly within the budget. Looks like we've found the right vehicle for you. And they'd be like, they'd be nodding their head and they're like, yeah, this is it. So I would basically go through the decision-making process with them. And that's why on some tools or softwares, you'll see they have like a comparison chart. That's one method where they can help a customer decide if they're the right tool. My single most successful episode on Superfast Business is episode number 775. And you can do this if you number your episodes. (laughs) And the reason it was successful is I actually made that an episode where I take people through decision-making process of which of my coaching programs is the right one for them. Ah, clever. I like it. We accompanied that with a comparison chart and it shows the different programs I have 
how much it costs, what you get, and it gives a link to buy. And importantly, underneath the chart is a got a question, ask James button. And they can click on that and they can send me an email to my inbox, which I respond to personally. And this, by the way, is the exact same technique I used to sell the software back in 2006, 2007, 2008, mostly 2007, 2008. I had a Skype me button on my site (laughs) so that people could contact me if they had a question while they're trying to buy. And I'm not too busy to take a call from someone who wants to send me $50 or $100 back then. It was great. And often the call was like, yeah, hello, Uh, I just want to check, is this offer legit? (laughs) <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. Okay, I'm going to go and buy it now. Say, so, great, I'll look forward to your claim. That was it. Yeah. They just needed that security. I, I mean, people weren't as trusting of the internet 10 years ago than they True. are today. Yeah. But I think there's so many lessons that I might have just shared there <laughs> that apply to affiliate marketing. And I hope I've answered your question a little bit. Oh, yeah. The answer is it's not easy when you have a platform for distribution that is very, very powerful for people who you know obviously recognize that. That's why we say no to pretty much every guest recommendation Mm -hmm. with very few exceptions, except when you send me a recommendation, guys. Thank you. I usually have them on because of our relationship. That's my way of saying, I trust you and I will do this because I think that's probably helpful for you too. Mm -hmm. And you do the same for me. And I think that's a high level reciprocation. And that being said, I do have occasionally guests on who might have offers that could conflict with something that I'm a financial stakeholder in. However, I'm thinking of my customer here. Maybe there's customers who the product's right for that they're not going to use a solution that I'm more tied to. So ultimately, when it comes down to it, I'm customer focused first, and then I'm partner focused, and then I'm me focused. (laughs) Like that's the hierarchy. The marketers who are me focused, they're going to crash and burn. I'm telling you now. So it's not a matter of if, it's just when. Yeah. And we've seen so many of these gurus and experts crash and burn because it was all about them, their big fancy mansion lease rental, their big Bentley rental, their cocaine (laughs) habit or whatever, that's going to finish them before anything else. If you focus on the customer, which I've done from the very first day when I got into business, you can't go wrong. And if your partners align with helping the customer, which is, you know, that's my intention, the partnerships I've chosen for my rev shares, I want the best in breed product. I want the product that can help my customer better than any other product. And where it doesn't, I will give them input and help them to tune the product to be better. I cop a lot of feedback as a coach every day. I'm getting people say, I've got a feature request or can it do this? Or I'm looking for a solution that does that. I have basically moved mountains uh, with the support of my partner, John, for example, Mm -hmm. to mutate and contort and make 10X Pro the absolute best tool we can to do the things that are important. And sometimes it's a matter of me saying to a customer, listen, the thing you're asking for, it's actually not important. Don't waste any more time on this thing, this trickery or this gadget that you've seen something else do. That might be a selling feature, but it's Mm -hmm. not actually important to you having a profitable business. So just drop it. Mm -hmm. Like Just forget about it. And I'm seeing huge success now by changing the tool and changing the customer expectations. And yeah, there's some tools or options that I'm not really going to put my weight behind because I don't have as deep understanding of it. I can't vouch for the support as well. And frankly, some other people kind of miss their mark. 
you know, like for many years, I wanted to get one of the guys on there for a podcast. I offered it to him five or six times and he never really followed through <laughs> and he could have had a lot more market share if he had, but it just didn't happen. So it sort of got overtaken. So again, it's how keen are people willing to make a relationship with you? And sometimes the spot's taken. And, you know, with my rev shares, I'm mostly interested in building a portfolio of partners who can interplay. In other words, that we can serve the same customer. Mm. My same customer can get served by Charlie with his media company or Gert with the SEO company or John with his software or Kat with her membership support service. Mm. The same customer can partake in this. And this is a huge strategy. It's so leveraged for me to build my distribution, to publish podcasts, to make videos, to build a portfolio, and then to be able to serve my customers in ways that I can't just as a coach. I'm not going to go in the software business myself. So why don't I just find someone who can be my extension into that market? Mm. And yes, sometimes to say yes to something, you have to say no to something else. So pick your yeses carefully. Yeah, that response was perfect. And there was something that you said in there towards the, the beginning too, that I think is really powerful and that having multiple options for people, you can actually use to your advantage because you can go to somebody and say, look, there's these three options available based on what you need. I think this is the perfect option for you. And that probably makes it a lot easier to make the sale because you just showed that you filtered it down for them. Absolutely. You're helping them with the decision-making process. And in a subtle way, it becomes a, rather than a question of yes or no, it's more a question of which one. Hmm. And it removes one layer of resistance. I think in some circles, they call that an alternative assumptive or or a double bind, but yeah. you know, whatever name you want to put to it, it's moving someone past the point where they're deciding if they're going ahead or not, and then helping them narrow down the choice. And this, mm. you know, one of the classic objections when you're selling that people talk about is the I need to think about it thing. If you want to use some techniques like this, you're actually eliminating a lot of the chance of someone needing to think about it because you're actually thinking through it together, taking into account their situation, making it relevant to them with a focus on them being better off. And I'm very specific with these words because. It's important if you come from a place where you genuinely want the people who you're helping to be better off, then you should recommend the right solution, even if that's not the one that gives you the fattest paycheck. I've turned off income streams before where I was getting paid well, but I decided that that income stream is no longer representative of the best solution in the market, mm -hmm. which is why I stopped promoting that first software I promoted in favor of a different option because it became superseded. It was no longer a good choice to pick software that could only be used on a Windows computer that you had to push, you know, from your thing. It, it, obviously, cloud was the thing and WordPress became strong. But I think, you know, where I'm going now is I found better solution than WordPress. And there is timing to this. So there might come a day where the solution you're promoting is no longer the best solution and you're going to have a values-based decision. Hmm. I've always decided to go with the customer and to provide them the right thing. And that requires intensive innovation. And that's why I've chosen partner who are innovative. They innovate constantly. And I've selected that as a criteria. Can I work with this person? Are they responsive to inputs? Do we have a fantastic relationship where we can be open? I mean, I saw one of my partners post something this morning and I screenshotted it and I sent it to him and I suggested some improvements and he thanked me for it. And then I sent him a follow-up with where he can get more access to getting education on this particular technique, which he also thanked me for. And I know from today on, 
his posts will be the beneficiary of a new technique rather than have a partner that says, well, screw it. That's how I do it. You'll like it or lump it. You know, that would be a bad fit for me because right. I'm a dynamic, fluid business person. My whole business changes every single year. Like this year, I brought in a brand new product and income stream from scratch mm. and it's absolutely flying. And I know next year, my business will look different, yeah. but I'll probably have more or less the same core of customers, a few change on either end. I'm up to almost a four-year retention now, which is pretty crazy. Wow. <laughs> That's a wild for any kind of continuity, but even the level that you have. Yeah. And you mentioned there's a couple of things in your response to Matt's question <laughs> as well. First thing I want to say is just personalizing and just and I you personalizing and this goes all the way from just engaging with your community. You do that amazingly when we joined your membership. I remember a personalized video of you. I think you're walking through the mall. <laughs> and uh, at least it seemed that way on like a Saturday. I was like, how cool is this? It was just a 45 second video, but it was thinking it was even though we already knew each other, it was still that touch, you know, it was unexpected. And something that we pulled from that strategy is applying a personalized video to affiliate marketing. You know, so we have Facebook groups for various products. It's more or less a user group, but we make it explicitly clear we're affiliates. We're not the owners of the group. It's unofficial. But when they join, there's always a question asking them specific questions. Are they a buyer of the software already? Most of the times it's no, at least 50-50. But then we pose a couple of questions that get them asking a question. Okay, so what's the, you know, what, what's your question here? You know, what are you looking for? Is there a problem you can solve right now? And they're not expecting a video from me, but they get one if they put their email address in there. And I'll send them an email, not a Facebook message, because I used to do that. And most of those are blocked. But if you go email, it's about 80% of the time I'll get a response and you know it actually lands in their inbox. And these are people saying, you just made my day. Oh my God, you just sent a video? Mm-hmm. Even though this video is just me, I use Loom for this and I'll just answer their question. I'll introduce myself, read their question and show like, hey, I'm not just like creepily finding you. I show them a screen capture of me solving their problem and pointing them to resources. It takes me about five minutes max and probably averages affiliate commissions of at least $300 to $1,000 a pop, just depends on what we're promoting. Could be some recurring too. But it's a personalized approach that immediately kind of gets you out of the pack, you know, and just separates you from the competition there. And it's one of those things too, that doesn't scale, right? I think so many people, when it comes to affiliate marketing, they want to look for the thing that's going to be like set and forget and drive affiliate sales. But I feel like the philosophies that work when you're selling your own products are the same philosophies that work when you're selling other people's products. Be personal, be real, do this extra things that don't scale and go above and beyond. And that's quite honestly, the secret to why we've been so successful as affiliates is we go and do the things that don't scale that most affiliates don't want to do because they're looking for that autopilot cash flow from affiliate marketing, which is a lot hard, easier said than done, I guess. Actually, Matt, it's called autopilot cash formula. Oh, shut up. No, that's a, that's a reference to Matt's first internet marketing product that he always hated the name of. <laughs> you were almost going to say it, so I had to complete it for you. Um, well, you're getting a value creation reward. You're offering a service that's super valuable to someone who's in that buying mindset or the, yep. the research phase. When you apply the effective hourly rate formula to what you're doing, mm-hmm. it's going to trump a lot of other things you could do. You could spend a lot of time trying to put together your auto riches formula <laughs> pilot thing, right? It's like that saying, you know, you've got to stay up all night working so that you can get paid while you sleep during the day or whatever. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. 
the things that don't scale are noticeable. And if you actually have a smallish business, and I'm, I'm going to say I've chosen a path of less scale mm. and more freedom than a lot of my peers. I have friends, you know, I bump into the supermarket down the road. He's, he's got a, a business that's doing nine, almost $10 million, mm-hmm. and he doesn't look healthy. He doesn't mm. look happy. I feel happier making a little less than that. And having less compromise, I think it's the compromise level. I think the Loom video is a great idea. I send lots of Loom videos as well. Yeah. And it doesn't matter whether it's your product or someone else's. If anything, you just don't have all the other headaches. You don't have to hire the developers and you don't have mm-hmm. to do the customer support. You're just doing the fun part that you enjoy and you're good at, which is the marketing. And coincidentally, that's usually the part that a lot of product developers are not that good at and don't enjoy. Right. Or even if the, you know, they are good at it, but that's not their core thing. They don't get the most out of it. And, and I've found also some of them are kind of introverted and uh, like to sort of do the things that I hate to do. Yeah, <laughs> so it's great. It's a good fit. <laughs> and I've also noticed this as a trend because, you know, on the topic of affiliate marketing and revenue shares, most of my revenue share partners, the way that we talk and communicate, it's quite clear to me that they feel that I'm a business partner of theirs, that mm-hmm. it's kind of like our business in the very best ones, it feels like it's our business. In probably the least best ones, of which they're all great, but of the least best ones, they might still feel like it's more their business and I'm helping them. But as the partnership develops and grows, I feel like you know we make decisions as a team as if it's both our business. It's just the way that it's structured is not your typical way of shareholders, you know, legal joining at the hips from a <laughs> entity perspective. It's more of licensing arrangement or a, a royalty type agreement, which is still contractual mm-hmm. and still a little bit more work to dance around with in the beginning but once they're done you put it away and you never really look at it again it's like you get into a flow of reporting numbers sending the invoice connecting coaching or creating content for distribution and i'd say my main roles in these arrangements are coaching them like i would with my own team Mm. or like i would with you guys as customers or being distribution for them. And that's where my podcast has come in handy. And and for you, you're in the box seat for that. You have one of the most powerful marketing business podcasts on the planet. Mm -hmm. You can basically name your partners. You could pick whoever you want. And they would think seriously about giving up a percentage of the revenue that they're not currently getting that could in the future with your help Mm. to collect the lion's share of what's left over. I mean, seriously, they could give you 10 cents in the dollar and keep 90 cents on every dollar they're not currently making, but could make if they worked with you and they took your box seat. So what I've been doing is re-engineering Silver Circle as my partnership portal. Uh I'm updating the testimonials to indicate that the partnership's been a big payoff for them. I'm hyperlinking to my partner's sites so people can go and investigate and purchase from them. I'm also coordinating with them more in the background by privately chatting with them as a group to help them help each other. Mm. And there's a lot of good interplay there. And one thing that's most notable is I've had, I'd say in the last, well, this year, I've lost only a couple of Silver Circle members all up. So like when I stopped taking new members, I still have my core group of current silver circle members and i'd say the, the longest one's been going for 10 years oh, and you know i can't see him leaving anytime soon so a really interesting thing happened where Superfast business intensive has picked up the baton from silver circle i gifted Superfast business intensive program mm-hmm. the new members who are on the current rate which is what Silver Circle started at in 2009 or 10. Hmm. I've given them the weekly Silver Circle group call. 
So they're now coming to weekly group calls. Nice. And that's been a game changer. And so what's happened is the retention on that 599 program, again, virtually nobody leaves that now. So instead of coming and going a little more frequently, I think this is going to turn into an amazing machine. So it's actually caused a tremendous amount of growth in my existing products by stopping doing something. Mm. And I think this is a lesson that is absolutely critical. You can stop doing something and get a massive growth spurt. On my coaching call this morning uh, in the Silver Circle slash Superfast Business Intensive group, (laughs) one of my members stopped a lower ticket program. And in the last month, they've all surged into the only program he has, which is a higher ticket program. And his net business just jumped, Hmm. but he's offering less services and less actual deliverables. It's the best. I mean, that's what originally got us into affiliate marketing. Right. To go way back on our side of things, we had our own products. We were writing our own newsletters, physical newsletters, but like writing them unique Hmm. content every month, usually the last couple of days of the month because (laughs) of, you know, human. (laughs) We procrastinate. But it was a lot of work. And we ended up just, you know, we, we paused that for a bit, but then we really seriously looked at affiliate marketing marketing. And that was right around the time we were starting this podcast as well. So we're like, okay, so the intention here is to really build a great community that we can cultivate and create fans and they will follow us. And, you know, the recommended products as affiliates that we already use marketing software, mainly not as much info products, really, but that we saw this trend like, oh, they buy Thrivecart from us or ConvertBox or all these other things that we use in our marketing stack. All we're doing is just kind of exposing using what we're doing under the hood in our business and saying, hey, here's what we use and why. We recommend it. It's not going to break the bank really, but it's sure as hell going to bring you a great return if you use them, right? We're going to give you a bunch of strategies for free on this podcast. We ended up actually closing down all of our offers. You know, and this is the traffic offer that you were helping us promote. And I thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Did great. But then we started realizing, hey, this affiliate marketing thing's really starting to scale and we're connecting our business. And this is another point you said earlier is connecting all the different phases. So we started connecting the podcast to specific affiliate promotions and the emails can now get segmented based off of that interest into a mini promo to something relevant. And then now, you know, we have rev share things. We have, uh, you know, deals with some software companies. We have equity deals with folks like Roland and other affiliate platforms. So it's like kind of top to bottom. There is a big affiliate play or some deal making play happening. And our internal products, we just said, this is a lot of work <laughs> to develop, fulfill, support. We're like, okay, that's where our bump came from. Well, you're a marketing and distribution company mm-hmm. and you can then source from the best possible supply. You know, it's like a Mercedes Benz or an AMG. It's got Michelin tires or Pirelli tires. You don't, don't feel compelled to make every piece of the machine. Mm. You know, and they have Bosch electricals. So in my case, you know, that's pretty much one of the power moves I've done this year is I have stopped my most profitable business line. I've stopped the new flow of that to go for the scale of the revenue share deal. So I've essentially morphed a little more into the partnership model making the strength of my business that distribution. You know, I can get eyeballs, I can build trust in my audience. They know that I care about my customers, but they also know that I filter and work very closely with my partners to make sure. Like if I got bad feedback from a customer about a partner, then they know that's going to go straight through the machine. And, you know, I want Mercedes-Benz level of supply for my audience, Mm. but I can't physically make it all. I'm not that inclined to, and certainly I'm not good enough Mm. to do the big software plays, et cetera. But partnering with people is great. There'll be people listening to this who have a product or service and have currently got no affiliate marketing stream in place. I'd love to 
hear what you would say to them. The people that have no affiliate marketing stream in place. I mean, we actually just did a presentation for Traffic and Conversion Summit where we kind of talked about some of this stuff. But I mean, one of the easiest things you can do is look through the content that you've already got out there and see if there's ways that you can interweave affiliate promotions into the content that you've already created. I mean, for us, that's one of the lowest hanging fruit things that we did for affiliate marketing is go into our Google Analytics, look at which pieces of content we've created, still get the most traffic and go look for opportunities to put products and and mentions inside of those pieces of content. That's one of the things. The other thing that we did fairly recently, actually, and I think it was your influence, was we created that products page Mm -hmm. that you mentioned and started actually mentioning these recommended products. So we did that. And then the third thing that we've started doing recently actually goes back to Dean Jackson, who you were talking about earlier, is we started putting super signatures in our email. So we've been writing more emails that are kind of content-based emails, just pure value, not really asking for much, just here's a lesson for you today. And then we'll put a super signature at the bottom with here's three ways where we can help you go even further. Join our Facebook group, join our membership, or check out our recommended products page. And just like those three things right there have had huge results with very, very, very little effort to get the ball rolling. I would also say this one, a coach pair who have a really great product and they deal with a market that I'm not so into, which is helping people when they're starting up online. They help Mm. beginners get going. That's not a market I enjoy, even though I've done startups. I can, but I find it the most grueling, frustrating, difficult phase of all, getting that first offer that converts. Mm -hmm. They have a product that helps people start up and they're really, really good at it. They absolutely love dealing with beginners. They're very patient. They have a methodology that works pretty much every time. They've got rules in place to protect people from overspending. And I've watched them for years and I've been coaching them for several years. So I know that they really do care about their customers and their customers actually get results. So like, there's a couple of things. We suggested that we do a webinar for my own audience to just catch the people on my own database who are not fully into the motion or they want to go down the path of doing this business model, which by the way, I do this business model, but I don't teach this business model beyond a basic training because it requires too much patience and technical knowledge to teach it at a deep level. So this is the strategy. You find someone who's got something like that, that complements what you do, that you suspect your audience might be interested in. And we sent, I think, three emails sent three emails to promoting a webinar. I think it's the first webinar I've done to the public for about five years, maybe six years. And we had a bunch of people register. Uh, A lot of people showed up live. A lot of them watched the replay because of the timing of the webinar. And I have a truly international audience. I mean, I've got a fantastic representation in the US, the UK and Australia. So Mm -hmm. not all time zones are great for the live took me, I'm going to say, 15 minutes to rewrite the three emails that they sent me as a suggestion and to give to my team in Slack and say, send this to our database. So 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And from that, I will earn somewhere in the region of $35,000 to (laughs) $38,000. Perfect. So what's the effective hourly rate on that? That's my cut, by the way. That's the actual amount of money that will hit my bank account. And I didn't have to do anything else. So if you don't currently promote someone else's product or service or any kind of software or whatever, there's some huge opportunities here. Find someone with a high-performing training that's perfect for your audience and promote them as an affiliate Hmm. and sit back and bank the checks. I suspect I'll probably do another one of those next year, you know, when I've built my list up again and recharged it. We can talk about the success the first batch of students had. We'll have actual case studies of people who came to that first training 
I still work closely with these people, so I know they're going to deliver. Oh, yeah. They said my audience, by the way, there's a big shout out to my super fast business audience. They said my audience are very savvy and lovely people. So I will attest to that as well, because a lot of those <laughs> folks have come our way. I mean, we share that audience. You said that. Yeah. If I could rate my customers, I'd give you five stars. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Yeah. <laughs> guys, I still want to ask you, what were the main things you learned after doing all your affiliate marketing interviews? I feel like we've been generous with what we have discussed, but be good to have a couple of bullet points to round this out and make it like, you know, get it in the top 10 for the 2020 yeah, episodes, man. certainly on, on my side. But what can we do to push it over the line? Ooh, this is a good question. Yeah, because we've been kind of rattling off a bunch of strategies. And I mean, the way that we work is the stuff we're testing really comes from the podcast yeah. and from our friends like yourself. So it's probably what we've been saying. Or- well, do any other strategies or techniques? Probably, I mean, you, yeah. You've already delivered a lot. Super signature. We've talked about an affiliate webinar. How about well, some email? segmentation. Yeah, so we're doing some cool stuff. We're there. doing a lot of stuff that's like very dynamic and retargeting. And a lot of times when we go on podcasts and stuff, I'm almost hesitant to talk about it because I'm afraid I'll get too deep into the weeds and over people's heads. But we're doing a lot of stuff where, you know, we'll drive people to a specific podcast episode from our list. And based on the episodes they're listening to, we're then retargeting them to relevant offers. So for example, maybe we'll have an interview with somebody who's teaching a whole bunch of really good webinar strategies to be really successful on webinars. Well, anybody who goes to the show notes page for that episode, we're essentially seeing that as them raising their hand as I'm interested in webinars. And then we will retarget people who view that landing page to a tool like Easy Webinar or Ever Webinar or one of these various webinar platforms that are out there. So that's one of the things we'll do. And then we'll kind of do the same thing in email. So if we email our list about an episode, I'll just stick with the same example. We email our list to an episode about how to be effective on webinars. People who open that email and click on that, we might create like another two-day email sequence where only the people who clicked on that email then get two more emails over the following two days about the best webinar platform to implement what they just listened to on that podcast. So we're doing a lot of sort of follow-on things based on which content they initially consumed. And that's probably one of the most effective strategies we're doing because everybody's kind of getting this choose your own adventure sort of thing by consuming our content. They just don't necessarily see it from their perspective. So an example of this, and this is from from an expert that was listening to our show, Joe Kearns, and he has a partner, Mike Alvarez. Basically, we partnered with them now to help us do this. <laughs> so they're helping us architect this machine basically behind the scenes. And it's exactly what you said is this it's essentially a big customer journey that's based off of their actions, wherever they feel like they need to go next. That's where another piece of value is going to happen to live, but also an opportunity to buy an affiliate product. Yeah. So it allows us now, we've released two podcasts per week. Well, that can potentially be two new affiliate promotions every single week. We're not doing that quite yet because you know, we haven't gotten that far, but we've kind of dabbled with that recently and because we realized we were doing the whole broadcast wide shout to a lot of people, which is the old way of emailing, which a lot of internet marketers still do, digital marketers. So then we realized, oh, wait, yeah, you can really talk to just like 200, 300 people and be way more effective if you just get them to actually raise their hand first and then you give them exactly what they're asking for. Our biggest commission these days come from mailing teeny tiny segments of our list. 
So a lot of times the days that we make the most money from affiliate promotions, we sent an email that got seen by 300 people. But those are 300 people that might have listened to this podcast, then listened to this podcast. And we're, we're like, okay, these people are hot on this topic. Let's send them more emails that are related to that topic. So we're getting much more dialed in with the segmentation, both on the retargeting end and on the email marketing end. Well, it sounds like Amazon and Google. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> They're doing all right. <laughs> Amazon was the one that really alerted me to that when I looked at something on the side and then I got an email a few days later like of the exact thing I was looking at. Yeah. That was such an aha moment for me. This was a long time ago, obviously. <laughs> I'm a dinosaur. But based on that, I put a segmentation in my Entreport sequence that caused me to end up having to present at their conference how I sold so much of their software. <laughs> but I put a little signature and it said, you know, this email was sent using OAP, mm. which is what they used to be called Office Autopilot. Right. When people clicked on that, it would add them to a sequence, which then followed up with the reason why I switched from Aweber to OAP. And then it followed on with, uh, by the way, if you're interested in OAP, check it out here. And then the next email I was like, if you buy OAP through my link, I'm happy to send you a training on like how to get the best results from it. Like basically what I learned from having the cheat sheet before. Mm -hmm. So this little sequence only went to people who clicked on that link. Like they were interested enough to know what it was. And I've been using little sequences like that the whole time to you know, move people into that. But now someone listening to this might think, well, that's too complicated. Rocket science, wiring diagram, NASA spaceship, etc." <laughs> What's a simple way to do this? I'd say a simple way to do this is probably to fire up one email after you send them the resource that they've asked for, or even in that email, it sends them the resource that it has like a PS, where are you at at the moment with your business? Hit reply and let me know. Mm. And that way you're going to encourage a conversation. And I think mm. the conversational conversions, that's the non-scalable way you're going to sell more than anything else. Yep. You get in a conversation, they'll tell you where they're at. You'll probably find an obstacle. You might be able to solve it. Maybe send a loom video. You're going to sell like crazy off even a tiny, tiny list with that. So that's one of the prompts that I put when someone purchases a product from Superfast Results. Mm. And I get into these amazing dialogues with people. Like they tell me like why they bought the course, what they're going to use it for, what they're planning to do next, where they're at. Some people show me their site or they tell me about their new book that's going to launch. I sometimes I'll reply back, say, look, I've had a look at your site. I've, I've noticed a couple of things I would change. I've made you a little video. Mm. And after you've gone through this course, this is what I'd recommend next. Like, what are they going to think? How could they not find value in that? It's like, you are their new best friend, man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's it. And I want to, you know, I want to help them. I really do. And it comes from that place. Yeah. So Gosh, I feel like we've got probably an episode here. Yeah, <laughs> we're over our normal allotment of time. I mean, I think we always go long because it just flows, man. And this is such a good time. Yeah. I know there's all these rabbit holes we could head down. Well, I do have um, one last question I want to ask about RevShare. I, I feel like the conversation sort of jumped back and forth between affiliate marketing, RevShare, affiliate marketing. So might as well keep that pattern going. And I'll ask you a question about the RevShare stuff. And then we can kind of wrap up after that. So in 2020, Joe and I, we actually got involved in three RevShare deals, mm -hmm. I believe, all based on your influence and our conversations with you, you even helped us structure the deal with one of them. So we really appreciate that because it's been working out really, really well so far. But the question I want to ask is when you get involved in these RevShare deals, how do you ensure that momentum continues and that the person that you're partnered with notices that the momentum continues? Because I think one of the things I kind of get in my own head about with some of these RevShare deals is in the beginning, it feels like momentum can be very, very slow. We're kind of laying groundwork and sort of building the foundation for what we want to do with these guys. But 
but it feels sort of slow. And I don't want the people that we partner with to maybe start to feel like they're regretting the decision of partnering with us because momentum is slow when we first come on board. I think a lot of times people will partner with us and just expect like, okay, I'm partnered with these guys. They have a big platform. So it's to the moon really quick, but that's not the case. A lot of times there's foundational things that we need to fix before we can take it to the moon with them. So I'm curious, how do you approach that? And how do you make sure that momentum stays going and they feel that the momentum is continuing to push forward? Interestingly, uh, the short answer is I plug them into Silver Circle. So I now have a framework for the onboarding diagnostic where we're setting a roadmap and creating clear expectations and we work out all the low-hanging fruit. So we'll have immediate wins. Almost always we'll have immediate wins. It's rare that I wouldn't. And then we'll have midterm wins and then we have sort of a long-term knock it out of the park. I've had partners when they started, they had one assistant who they were thinking of letting go. And then six months later, I have 28 people in their team. (laughs) And I'm like, you need to hire, you need to stop doing this work. And they're like, oh my God, there's no way they would see this. Or I like, I blow their mind by saying, you need to make extra payments on your house mortgage right now. And they're like, what? I'm like, we're going to pay this thing off. How much is left? They tell me, I say, we're going to pay it off by this time next year go and tell your wife the house will be paid for this time next year. And this is what we're going to do to make that happen. So I'm basically installing a framework, you know, or an expectation of a long-term plan we're working to here. But I will say this, overwhelmingly, the feeling of momentum or guilt or whatever, it's almost always the partner feeling like they're not doing a good enough job for me Mm. and not the other way around, which I think is really interesting, but it means they value the relationship it means that they know I'm doing my end of the bargain. And sometimes they have things to do. I give them things to do or, you know, they need to update or install or invest in or change to take this thing to the next stage. And they're not always easy or fast things. But I would say that the vast majority of my deals, and now they've got a reasonable size portfolio, they have a very consistent momentum. I mean, I have this spidey sense anyway. I can feel if someone's not feeling it. And I know that come the end of the month, they'll be calculating their numbers and then we'll be sending an invoice. So I usually want to make sure that's why we have a frequent call schedule. Mm. The most frequent schedule I have with partners is every week. They're welcome to come to my group calls every week anyway, Mm. which they sometimes do. But the least frequent would be every three weeks where I have a one-to-one check-in with them and we just go through a framework to make sure we're on track. Mm. And of course, things happen in between or whatever. And to a large extent, I can give them unlimited airplay on my show and distribution. So they're getting plugged a lot from me and especially to my coaching students where the solution's a good fit. Mm. They're going to get distribution from me. They just can't get elsewhere. But I also encourage them to get distribution elsewhere, to get outside my ecosystem. That's where we get the real growth Mm. and the thing takes off. You know, luckily, uh, I can measure the momentum in terms of, you know, the yield that we're earning on both sides. And if they're dragging the chain and not meeting the threshold, which can happen in part of your portfolio is not going to meet threshold, they feel guilty. Mm. But at the same time, the pressure's off because they're not having to pay if they didn't make the money. It's actually, I think there'd be more guilt if they're paying a monthly fee regardless. If they had a bad month, but they still have to pay you, Mm. that's when they're going to resent you. But if they have a bad month, they couldn't quite meet the threshold and they don't have to pay me a cent, which is the nature of the deal, Mm -hmm. then they're off the hook for having to make that payment. And they, they can't blame me. I'm not charging him. (laughs) I'm the poor guy who put in the effort and didn't get paid. So that's that's why I think it's often on the other foot. And when they are paying me, they're happy because whatever they're paying me, they're getting paid multiple times more. Usually like they get nine times more than I get. So they're happy. Yeah. Yeah. 
That makes a lot of sense. And I, I think for me, mentally, I tend to probably undervalue what we are actually bringing to the table. You know, a lot of these products that we're dealing with, we do shout out on the podcast a lot. We do mention in emails and blog posts and social media, and we are spreading the word and evangelizing it. But I think I tend to undervalue that aspect a little bit. So that's probably a piece of it that I just need to get over myself and realize the value that we're actually bringing in those areas as well. well. We actually met, yeah, I remember uh, just recently, a couple of weeks ago, we were having a call with one of our partners. And that was one of the things I brought up up because I was like, you know, Matt and I were chatting about this. I'm like, just got to be honest here. Okay. I just want to make sure that you're good, you know, and, and because we were doing a lot of foundational work. So it didn't feel like it was the thing that was, you know, would move the sales immediately or the, you know, the short term, but it was reciprocated by like, no, you are, <laughs> this is amazing. This is, yes, it's foundational work, but it opened my eyes to so many new things. We we're using frameworks, like you said, and it ended up being like, oh my God, it feels great because yeah, we're all aligned. We're on the same page. We are giving the value probably more than we, definitely more than we thought we were, but it's great to clear the air. And that just shows a great partnership right there as well. Yeah. I've got check-ins all the time. Mm. We call it a temperature check within our team. Basically, if someone comes to you and they want to leave, it's too late. Yeah. You need really early. I mean, it's even in Sun Tzu, the art of war. Mm. You need to have spies in the enemy camp. You need to have early warning when there's a problem yeah. before so you can prepare. So I'm, I just ask them. How are we going? Are we on track? Are you feeling happy about this arrangement? Is it working for you? Mm. How can I improve? What would you like to see me do better? That sort of vulnerability, you know, usually get a very positive response. So, mm-hmm. hey, man, I'm very happy with how it's going and it's all good. I'm, I wish I could perform better or, you know, I need to hurry up with my hiring or whatever. So, you know, the shoe's usually on the other foot. Yeah. Yeah. It usually exposes the real priorities of what's happening. And it's a relationship. At the end of the day, we're all people, you know, this goes back to, you know, the community. I think to wrap this up, really, everything we've talked about is wrapped up in customers first, our our community first, our podcast list listeners, fans, whatever we, and they, who are they, whoever they are, those are the folks that are going to stick with us through multiple deals, multiple partnerships. And in your case for 10 plus years, I mean, honestly, in our case, because I know a lot of those folks started on your list, probably about the eight year mark, seven year mark for some people that have carried over from previous. It's just so cool to, you know, finally connect with some of those people face to face or through Zoom calls or looms. And you're like, wow, you've been with us for a long time. Well, we met that Aaron Fletcher, so bringing yeah. us all the way back around to the very beginning of the conversation. We met Aaron Fletcher back in 2010 because he was a customer of my first course, the WordPress classroom. So Aaron Crazy. Fletcher has been around for 10 years with us. He was up in Silicon Valley, he said, driving around to uh, the business he worked for. He was like a VP. He was very high up and he was listening to Matt and, uh, you know, and our ramblings probably on this. You know, and it's just like, wow. And just to see where he's turned up, how great connections and, you know, it's just a good friendship all around. So you never know. Long term. That's what it's all about. It is. It's about relationships, about the long term. It's about community. Mm. And I think going to the next phase of society, a lot of people have been worn and torn by you know negative community experiences where they've been trying to supplement the in-person stuff. Mm-hmm. So if you have a good community experience, then I think that's the long haul. And supplement it as you guys have, and we have for the last however long, with live experiences when they become practical mm. and you have a magic formula. That's it. Yeah. So let's wrap her up. What are you excited about for 2021? Since I guess this is getting released, at least on our end. Yeah, I think <laughs> on both ends we'll get it released in 20, January, I think. I think so. Probably the same for me. Yeah, yeah. Anything specific that you want to like put out there that you're just like, okay, this is the new invention 
extension of my business or evolution, or maybe it's not. <laughs> you know, the first thing that came to my mind is I'm just really hanging to get back to the Maldives. Like it's not even a businessy thing, but as a business group, you know, yeah. Yeah. it's a paying customer group. It's where uh, my relationships with some of my partners was born. That's a very happy place for me. And I can't wait to get back there. Mm. In terms of business, I think there'll be a couple of new books coming across the deck. So nice. that will provide some scale opportunity for me. And the way that I've re-engineered my business is I think I'll attract maybe a couple of fantastic revenue share partners, not too many, that will grow that portfolio. And Superfast Business is really dynamite at the moment. It is just on fire. Like it's taken off because I've given it the juice from Silver Circle, mm. which I, you know, I transferred the resource. And it's just caught fire. It's going so well. Nice. And I love the group we have. I love the calls. And I think people are going to do some great things. And I'm going to work really hard on making the experience the best possible for the members coming into that. Mm. So for me, you know, really just more of the same. Yeah. Surfing as much as I can. I imagine I'll start traveling again at some point and just continuing to build, you know, on a strong foundation. 2020 has actually been an incredible year for me, but I was positioned for that for a long time. Mm. And hopefully people who have been along for the ride, listening to my podcasts or getting coaching advice have actually done pretty well out of this as it seems, aside from the most obvious ones who, you know, in the trade show industry or the gymnasium industry, like where they've had hits that were hard to recover from, mm. but a lot of them have. And and I think it's going to be like this massive growth spurt, positive leap forward out of the abyss. It's mm -hmm. going to be boom time. And I saw boom time when I was selling luxury vehicles and there will be boom times again. But now is the time to really flex the muscles and get yourself ready, like rest up, mm -hmm. shore down all your foundations because it's going to take off. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's pretty much the same on our end, you know, with the email system, like we were talking about, we know that's going to be way more dynamic than it ever has in the last 10 years on our end. So, you know, doubling down on that with the right partners and growing the top of kind of our iceberg, the tip of the icebergs, the podcast. So getting more listeners and, you know, working with guys like Charlie Valor for that and some other strat, Gert even, you know, with SEO, he said, we're doing pretty good, but we know we can optimize. So it's, you know, almost like, you know, get more of the potential fans on top and then we have the machine now that's really doing the heavy lifting for us. We just kind of show up and do what we do. <laughs> so awesome. yeah, I'm excited for it. And I want to do more of the, uh, you know, work less, make more now with a baby in the house. And I want to revisit that. It's important. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, shout out, get that book, <laughs> everyone. I, just for fun, I put up a 30-day work less and make more challenge that mm. delivers one of the action steps each day for 30 days. Now, speaking of email and sequences, and I made that free at the moment. It's probably still free when this comes out. How do we get there? <laughs> Superfastresults.com forward slash 30. 30. The number not spelled out. So like three, zero? Both, mate. Both. Okay, cool. You could put out of... James, man. Come uh, on. <laughs> contingency planning. There you go. <laughs> I would very much hope that both URLs work for that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that just drops one micro lesson per day for 30 days. Mm. And my goal for that is to let people experience what's possible from the book, at least at a surface level and for free, like as a full demonstration of what's in there. So mm. if you didn't want to spend a cent, that's a starting point. And I think it's actually a good reminder. And I'm going to encourage people to go through it a few times, like yeah. maybe once a year as a reset. I've got a few people resetting through that and I think I'm up to day 20 something at the moment on the first trial run. So I'm sure it's going to improve and I'll get feedback. And I think it would lend itself for me tipping some paid traffic into it at some point. So sure. it's another vehicle for me to let people know about partners, but also for them to get a result for free so they can see if going to the next stage is worth it for them. Mm. 
That's awesome. Very All right, cool. I'm going to check that out <laughs> along with the. What about your site? We should drop that in there. Where are we going to check you out for our show? Where are we going to go, Matt? I mean, there's really two good URLs. There's flowchartgroup.com. That's our Facebook group. We do most of our interaction in there. And then hustlingflowchart.com is the podcast. And that'll actually redirect you to the best location to listen to the podcast. So if you're on an iPhone, it'll take you to iTunes. If you're on a Google phone, it'll take you to Spotify or whatever. So hustlingflowchart.com and the flowchartgroup.com are probably the two best places people can go mm-hmm. check it out right now. Fantastic. Thanks, guys. This has been fun, man. Yeah, it's been a it was a little period of time where we didn't chat, but you know, at least on the podcast here. But I'm happy we did it again. This is always a good time. You gotta do it like every six months. I feel like there's always some good <laughs> cadence there. Yeah, that's it. Something happens. That's it. We'll get you in again, I'm sure. For go. me, this was episode 795. <laughs> so we want to squeeze you in there when you feel like you've gathered some great intel. And that's right. I'll see if I can unlock a few old stories of past that have some <laughs> valuable metaphors. <laughs> oh, they always do. Absolutely. Thank you, my friend. It's been great chat, man. Thank you. Discover how to build your business super fast. Check out superfastbusiness.com. Thank you.